Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio Show 311, Grow as a Leader Both Personally and Professionally. So today we're going to be talking about tools, strategies and stories that will help you grow as a leader, as I said, both personally and professionally. I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage for Success core team. And the Engage for Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice. And we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our website, engagesuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list and all our social media links are there too. So my guest today is Tommy Breedlove, who's a featured speaker, writer and premier business and life coach. Welcome, Tommy. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Joe. I'm happy to be here. Greetings from the southern United States. Exactly, and I do think we might have a little bit of a delay, so I'll try not to interrupt you, and uh, we'll see how we get on. <laughs> You'll have to leave me pauses for my next question. <laughs> perfect, so, perfect, perfect. So great to have you here. Tell us a bit about who you are and what you do, and then I think perhaps a sort of very short version, because then we're going to talk think a bit about your um, your background, which will help us to think then about what we're going to be talking about today. Absolutely. Very quickly, I am Tommy Breedlove. I've been married uh, to one person for a very long time. Her name is Heather Breedlove. She is the core foundation of my life. One dog, Hodges Piper. And what I do for a living, both in my public speaking and in my business mindset and relationship coaching, is help humans build and live legendary lives. It's something I inspire for myself. It's something I've been directly involved in for eight years after 20 years in the large financial consulting and mergers and acquisitions world. It is a passion. It is my purpose. And that's what I believe I was put here on earth to do. So that's a little bit about what I do. Lovely. Thank you. Now, we met via my own podcast where I interviewed you a few months ago or probably even last year, I would think, about um, sort of productivity and uh, well-being and all that sort of thing. But what struck me and the reason that I invited you on to the Engage for Success show is that you've had a really interesting corporate career, which you then gave up to do what you now do. Um, but when we were talking, you had so much to offer in terms of uh, thoughts around leaders and how they should be and how they can help to create really engaged workplaces and that's obviously why I invited you here so tell us a bit about what how you did what you did so you know where, where you came from what what you did in financial services and and then a bit about I guess um, why you you left and then we can sort of unpick some of the the uh, sort of tips and strategies that, that you have that you naturally shared with me that you know I thought would be good for our audience here Absolutely, and, and thank you for asking. I spent uh, right right at 20 years in large public accounting, financial consulting, and mergers and acquisitions firms. I grew up at Deloitte. At the time, it was called Deloitte & Touche. Um, became a senior partner, international practice leader, um, eventually elected to the board of directors, and was an owner of a, a competing firm in the middle market space. But at 37 years old, I 
I come from good uh, blue collar, humble beginnings, and I worked my way for the first person in my family to graduate college and worked my way all the way up the quote corporate ladder, even to the ownership level. And when I got there, I discovered that the money, the prestige, the title, the shiny things, the cufflinks, the cars, um, I just found myself asking why and felt extremely unfulfilled, and it was always going to be this endless pursuit for more. And it almost cost me everything, including my marriage, uh, my reputation, and almost uh, candidly my life because I was making really poor decisions to try to fill that hole inside with external things and events and circumstances. So when I went through this massive transformation at the age of 36 or 37, a lot of executives, uh, accountants, lawyers, bankers, entrepreneurs saw that I went through this great transformation and I did not give up my ambition or my drive for success or um, my ability to want and do more things and more great things and create impact in this world. But they, they, they noticed that I seemed to have more balance, more fulfillment, more happiness. Uh, they saw the changes in my relationship. They saw the changes in my financial world. Uh, all positively impacted by the changes I was making in my life. So these people started reaching out to me and asking for help, guidance, and they did. I don't have any desire to change the human being. I just want to give them skills and tools to be their best human being possible as I constantly work on that myself. Uh -huh. And so after all of these people reached out to me to be better leaders, to be better men and women, to be husbands, wives, fathers, um, it just, I was like, well, this is a calling. I mean, this is what I was put here on earth to do. So I made the big decision to sell my equity, uh, give up my 20 year career and go into public speaking and relationship mindset and business coaching. And it's been the most impactful, fulfilling, rewarding career that I could ever ask for. And I feel like I'm blessed every day to be able to do this for a living. So that's a little bit about my journey. And I've been doing this now uh, for around eight years, and I've got a guy in here right now. He flew in from San Francisco today to here to Atlanta, and he's a senior partner at a big firm in San Francisco, and he just wants to be a better man, a better leader, better financially, um, better all the way around. And those are the people that I seek to work with who want to be better than they were yesterday and who want to make as much impact both in their personal and professional lives as possible. So I'm really honored to do this for a living, and I'm super, super passionate about it. Lovely. And I think some of the discussion that we had was about how there's so much uh, sort of talk and uh, content online and sort of books coming out and that sort of stuff currently about the whole sort of thing about being um, a man at work as a leader and how there's been sort of a, a requirement to be quite sort of macho and quite hard and, and all that sort of stuff. And there's a lot of talk now about that changing and perhaps some of the sort of um, more female characteristics in leadership are starting to come through and be discussed. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons we talked about you coming on the show. Um, and also just to sort of add to that, a few years ago, we published some research with Ashridge uh, in the UK around engagement from a CEO's point of view. And one of the issues that really struck me that came through that was that chief executives, um, some of that issue with the whole uh, thing about engagement within organizations is that to be a really engaging leader, you have to show some vulnerability. And that sort of immediately sounds like it's the opposite of being the leader who's at the front making the decisions and is confident and knows what's happening and actually sort of being vulnerable and saying, well, I don't always know what's happening or I don't feel, you know, completely 
up to speed here and I need you to help me and get people sort of collaboratively working is where some of that challenge comes in. And, you know, still the majority of CEOs are men and I think there's all of that sort of stuff tied up as well. So, discuss. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a lot. So, um, <laughs> so here's the truth and we don't like to admit this and I'll speak for men. Uh, 90% of my clients are um, – some manager level to manager level to CEO. And uh, it goes back to societal things, uh, our, our need as a young person to compete and conquer, um, to never show weakness and to wear all these masks and armor to show that, Hey, we've got this and we don't need any help. And the truth is that all of us, I don't care if you're the CEO of one of the largest companies in the world, or you're a startup entrepreneur and men and women, men just have a tougher time admitting it is we all have this fear of what if they figure out, I don't know what I'm doing. And let me take it even more granular is all of us have fears and insecurities. And this gets a little woo woo, but all of us wonder, are we enough? Are we good enough? And what happens if they figure out, I don't really know what I'm doing. So once you cut through that BS, that nonsense, and admit that, hey, I don't have it all figured out and that I can ask for help, and that, by the way, when I do ask for help, it allows my people, my employees, my family, it gives them a sense of, hey, I really want to help this person so that I can help the company and we can all be better together. So in my opinion, great leaders always listen first instead of talking. You know, we always feel like we've got to talk first. But I think great leaders listen first, and then they ask questions after listening, and then they respond. And ultimately, that builds trust and makes people feel safe and appreciated. And if you can do that as a leader, whether you're a female or male, your company, your customers, your stakeholders, and ultimately your profitability and cash flows will increase 10 to 100x. So um, the, the deal is, is what I give people – especially my male clients, the gift of is going second. And what sometimes men need is, you know, and, and I also give them second to I also give them the opportunity behind the scenes and to the side to ask for help, to seek guidance on big changes or choices they have to make within their families and organizations. And ultimately I give them the gift of going second. And what I mean by that is when mm -hmm. I, when I share my insecures, my, my insecurities, my failures, my triumphs, my, um, not good enough when it came to large, you know, large business, they realize that they're not alone in their need for help, and it gives them the gift of going second so that they can ask for help. And ultimately, a great leader knows they don't have to figure it out. And, the, and what I think that any man or woman needs to do is they need to invest in, invest in themselves first. And I'm talking about mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically so that you can be the best human possible and once you do that, then you can go serve your families, your communities, your businesses, because until we invest in ourselves, we're never going to be better than we were yesterday. And it's usually the thing that we put last. We'll invest in our companies. We'll invest in our families. We'll invest in the stock markets. But we tend to put ourselves last, especially emotionally and mentally. And my job is to help give them the tools, strategy, and tactics to become the masters of their mindset um, to be emotionally secure in who they are. And ultimately, this is going to sound woo-woo so that they find unconditional love and respect for themselves so that then they can go be the best leader, whether that's through vulnerable leadership or just compassionate leadership so that they can be the best that they can be. And ultimately, the company and the customers are, 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 are the, the ultimate benefactories of that. So.
Mm-hmm. So when we talk about leaders listening first, how does that work in reality? Because you can sort of imagine somebody joins an organisation, you know, that people are looking to them to, to to lead the way, create that direction. And what we're saying is actually, you know, you need to, to listen. What what does that mean in, in practical terms? So here's the truth. And, you know, especially in the larger organizations, or, maybe, you know, it's, it's probably true even in small organizations. As um, to when you listen first, it allows for you to hear the struggles not only of the employees, but they also talk about the opportunities they see because sometimes when we're in a leadership position, and I've been there, is we're in what I call the Pentagon or we're, you know, in Whitehall, and we're not in the day-to-day We're not seeing the pains and struggles of our employees. We're not seeing the concerns and the opportunities with our customers. And so by thinking we know it all and starting usually at the financials, we really don't appreciate the needs and concerns and the opportunities with our employees and our customers. And at the end of the day, if you listen first and ask a lot of questions and don't respond, you will hear so many questions. opportunities to improve efficiencies, to improve operations, to fill holes and gaps that you probably wouldn't know were there. And also, um, it will give you an opportunity when you ask your customers to really listen to their needs. And so, when you, when you come from a humble standpoint, and you don't have to tell everyone you don't know the answers, but if you ask a lot of questions first and then respond second, but you have to listen and then ask questions, it gives you the opportunity to be innovative, um, and to also find opportunities, efficiencies, and um, ways to better serve our customers. And so a lot of times we like to come in, you know, with a hammer looking for a nail, and we might not need a hammer. We might need an axe or a screwdriver or something else. And so um, I think the opportunity for us is we like to come in and show everybody with our egos that we know, hey, there's a reason they made me CEO or there's a reason I'm founder. It's because I'm so smart and listen to me. That's the exact opposite of what we need to do as leaders. We need to listen. And then and, and, and with listening also comes it gives the it gives the person who's talking to you the opportunity to show their worth. And it also gives them the opportunity of, hey, this guy's really listening to me. And, hey, he really wants my help, which, by the way creates retention and trust, which ultimately hits our bottom line in the long run. And so to me, that is the best way to serve our companies as leaders of our companies. So when did you not do that and learn that you needed to do that? Oh, uh, probably the first 18 years (laughs) of my career. And so, (laughs) yeah, I went from – I went from being one of the most uh, disliked people at my former firm to one of the most beloved in a matter of a year. It was interesting how much I transitioned. And so what I realized is, is I was that guy who he who turns the lights off last wins, the guy that never asked for help, the guy that had all the answers, and I was just going to outwork you, outmaneuver you, and, uh, and it, it really was competition and winning at all costs. And what I finally realized is that not only was I not winning because I was unhappy and everyone around me was unhappy is the clients weren't winning. And ultimately our just, no one was winning that game when you're always right, when you can't ask for help, when you have to show how smart you are and constantly talk over people. And so when I went on this massive transformation to work on my emotional intelligence, work on my mindset 
and to work on uh, my listening communications and leadership skills. Um, it's amazing to me, not only from a bottom line, I ran the international practice and we went from being probably fourth or fifth in the marketplace to second in the marketplace. We end up beating UPS for a major international reward. The profitability of the practice increased probably 10 to 15%. And most importantly, our employee retention and happiness increased probably a hundred percent. And so it took a lot of failures. It took a lot of internal inspection. It took a lot of mentors and coaches. And also it took, it took um, honestly for me, it took me getting kicked in the face uh, really by my own self to realize that, hey, there's a better way to live life. There's a better way to inspire. and There's a better way to lead. And so I think that's the first step is becoming aware that you don't know it all and asking for help and getting yourself read a lot, get mentors, get coaches, get in mastermind groups and figure out how to be better and learn from others. And once you do that, you just continuously grow. And once you become aware, you can't become unaware. So that's kind of that's kind of a cool result after all of this. It's interesting you talked about emotional intelligence and I think, you know, that's something that I remember when it was like the next big thing, I don't know, sort of 20 years ago or whatever it might might have been. And I, I still think it's the thing that really needs to be focused on with organizations and, and leaders and that, as you said, that whole self-awareness piece. But I don't think it is. I, you know, when, when I see people talking about doing leadership training, it's still about, you know, delegation and, and planning and finance. And you don't always see or mostly see, you know, the, the emotional intelligence, the self-awareness, the personal development piece. Why, why do you think we still haven't got there? I think it's the need. I think we, um, we know how important it is because both our customers and employees, um, they feel before they think. We make our buying decisions emotionally. We make our relationship decisions emotionally. Um, when leaders say that it's not, it's not personal, it's business, that's a flat lie because everything's personal, especially where you work and how much time you put there and anything related to money. And money is important, and it's very intimate to, all, to us all. But I think we get caught up so much in the day-to-day -day of administration, financial responsibility, which I'm a big believer that money is ridiculously important, but it's also a magnifying glass and a scorecard. And so I think we get caught up in the competition, the money, the operations, and the day-to-day. -day. There's so much for us to do that we forget at the end of the day that all that really matters is how we make our employees and our uh, customers feel. And if they have an amazing experience at work, especially our employees, then our customers typically will have an amazing experience when they're working with our companies. And when we make our customers feel happy, loved, seen, heard, that they ultimately become our zealots and that affects our bottom lines. And they go, they basically go do our marketing for us. But I think what happens is we get caught up so much in the day to day and putting out forest fires that we lose the forest for the trees. And so it, it usually takes someone, it usually takes a really disruptive event. Um, unfortunately for us to realize that, Hey, we've lost it all the way. And I think companies sometimes lose their purpose, which is their soul and their why, the why they do this for a living, why they provide this product, why they want to uh, make impact in this world. And sometimes it takes a very harsh event to remind us to get back to our core. And I think if we would invest as much into our people, our trainings, and ultimately our customers on the emotional side, and what I mean by emotional side is how they, you know, all of us want to be seen, heard, feel safe, 
and loved, all of us. It doesn't matter if you're a CEO or, the, you know, the, the, the person just starting out within the organization. So I just think it's the day-to-day hustle. I think it's the grind. I think business has become very complicated with competition and foreign markets. And, you know, that I could list you a million things because that's, you know, finance and money is my, it's one of my passions. But ultimately, money and the profitability is the result of making impact, doing the right things, and providing value in the marketplace. And if your people and culture sucks, your profitability is going to be bad. And, um, and that's just the ultimate. But we, we always put – it's just like ourselves. I mean, we will, we will invest in everything but ourselves first. It's, it's, the, it's, a, it's the human issue becoming the business issue. And so when we talk about our emotional health, our mental health, our spiritual health, our physical health, a lot of us executive-type people, we put that last. And we do the same thing when we go to our companies and we put our, we ended up, we say the right things, but we end up putting our people last and ultimately we all pay the consequences in the long run. So, and I think a lot of it too, and I, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole is both in our personal and our business lives, short term thinking and wins and short term feel goods and wins usually come at the consequences of long term impact and results and ultimately, um, help us it hurt us if we go for these short-term things ultimately the long-term usually hurts and so i think it's a combination of all of those things mm. it's interesting i was just thinking my background's retail and i've been working back in retail recently with a client and i was reminded of the the, the phrase um we can't do that um because of the needs of the business um which which means you know customers have come in and we need to do stuff to sell to them or service them or, or whatever um but it, remind, it reminded me about how that can oft, so often be an excuse. So you, exactly what you've just said, that you have this this great long-term view or this sort of ethos and the things that you, you want to be doing, but then the customers walk in the door and it all goes out the window. And it's, it's also a bit like the organizations that say that they've got a, an employee engagement program, but they're going to just park it, pause it, because they've got sort of big issues to deal with or restructuring to do or, or whatever. And, you know, sort of they don't get that, engaging people should be at the heart of everything that you're doing regardless of what else is going on because that's the bit that helps you to to work through that rather than treating it as something separate that you sort of switch on and off and it's a, it's a bit like as you say that we we focus on the short-term stuff and, and the long-term stuff doesn't always happen and yet, yet that's the bit that would drive that continual development if, if we focused on that how how can people do that we, we're literally sort of going into the last sort of five or so minutes of the the show what what thoughts tips have you got for leaders in to how they can sort of stick with more of that long-term thinking whilst managing that short-term challenge well ultimately they have to remember they have a choice um, everything every decision every choice every minute of every day is a decision um, and are you are you doing? I mean, is your heart quitting while you're bandaging? You know, the short-term things. You're you're putting band-aids on cuts when your heart is actually quitting. And so, at the end of the day, we're in the business of creating experiences and happiness for our customers and our employees. And if we remember that, if we can, you know, there's so many. It's really simple. There are so many experts in the efficiency, productivity, financial, cash flow, profitability, systems, IT, blah, 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 all the stuff that I did for 20 years and that you do. There's so many wonderful people out there and probably within our organizations that can help us do that. 
is first of all, we need to get out of our own ways and empower them to do their jobs and to help give us feedback how to improve all those things. But ultimately, as leaders, we have the choice of either prioritizing our customers and our people or not. And, and here's the thing, too. What we do as leaders and consultants is we come in and we want to change 10,000 things. Don't do that because you'll just shut down and you go back to the business as usual. And so from, from a guy who, like myself who came from the financial consulting world and we would come in um, and, and try to fix 200 different things, the companies get overwhelmed, they can't do it, it takes away from their day-to-day, and then they stop. The same thing happens internally is pick one thing one thing related to employees, employee retention, employee happiness, because ultimately with, hap- with, it, with retained employees, that hits the bottom line. And with employee happiness, that goes directly into our customers. Happy employees equals happy customers equals happy income statements. And so don't go in with, an, you know, with, a, with a sword and try to cut everything up. Go in like a surgeon and go very tactically to one area and say, okay, what can we, what is the one thing right now that we can do to increase employee happiness and retention? One thing. And that's where you listen and ask the questions first. And once you hear the answers, whether you like them or not, and sometimes you're the fix, you need to get out of the way. Um, And that's an ego check for us leaders, right? And so some leaders can't do this because they're just not ready. I mean, they just want to hold on to their ego and think they know everything. But once you go get really, really specific, get really, and, and you've got to commit to it and you've got to be the leader to say, I'm going to stick with this one thing and we're going to do everything in our power over the next quarter to 365 days to increase this one thing 25%. And if you commit to doing that, and which will not disrupt the operations and, and all the other fires that you have to put out today. If you'll just commit to one thing and make the big choice and again, get out of the way, listen first, ask questions, respond, and then take action, which ultimately builds trust and you make people feel safe and appreciated. That will change your company, your culture and the face of your organization 100 X. And so that's what I would do is get laser, laser focus, commit to it, get innovative by asking your people, and take action and implement what they come up with. That's what I would suggest. Lovely. Thank you. And last two minutes, what about as an individual? What do you think people should do individually to enable them to do all those things? They've got to invest in themselves, 100%. You've got to to participate in your own rescue. Again, all of us, you know, we all say we want happy relationships, a loving relationship with our significant other. We want to be happy. We want to f- be fulfilled. We want to find joy. Well, those are all journeys and choices that we have to make. And so the first thing you've got to do is participate in your own rescue. And I have been a premier coach now for eight years. But let me be clear. I'm involved. I pay to be in a men's mastermind. I pay to have a coach. I pay to have a psychologist. And I have an amazing inner circle of mentors who help hold me accountable to my happiness, core values, and my success every single day. And so you have to participate in your own rescue, and you have to make the big choice to pull up the kimono, take off the armor, and invest in yourself mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually to be better than you were yesterday. And again, most of us great coaches don't want to change the human being. They don't want to, we don't want to take away their ambition or their drive for more or their need for success, but we want to give them the tools, skills, and um, processes and tactical steps that they can take to be the best version of themselves. 
Because ultimately, Joe, we have to remember this. We only get so many spins around the sun. And the last thing in the world that we all want to do is look back on regret of, I didn't take that big choice. I didn't paint that picture. I didn't chase that career. I didn't spend enough time with my friends. I wasn't as happy as I think I could have been. Because at the end of the day, the definition of hell is the person you are meeting the person you could be once you die. And so individually, my my advice would be participate in your own SQ and uh, take the big leap and get someone to help you be better than you were yesterday. That's, that's the advice I would give them. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, Tommy. It's been, it's been great speaking to you. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, two ways. You can email me directly at Tommy at TommyBreedLove.com. It'll probably take me 24 to 48 hours to respond to you, but I would love to hear from you. Um, that's the best way they can get in touch with me. Of course, I'm all over social now at TommyBreedLove.com on Instagram and I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn. I put a lot of my writings out there. Also, it's really, um, I'm really super excited within the next three months. Um, our book is going to be published. It's about building and living a legendary life. It takes a deep dive into stories and tools that we're talking about today. And finally, if you do email me, I've got a one page document about how I live my life in my aspiration of being a legendary human. And what I usually send people is I send them my one page document of how I live my life and give them a blank one so that they can fill it out on their own. And so that they can start, start doing these things to be the best leader, to be the best husband or wife and to be the best father or mother that we can be. So ultimately at the end of the day, that's what life's all about. So that's how they can reach me. Tommy at TommyBreedLove.com or check me out on social. And if you dig it, tell me you dig it. If you don't like it, tell me you don't like it. I'd love to hear from you. That's great. Thanks, Tommy. Thank you. So next week, just to let you know, Joe Moffat will be here with Tony Gedge, and they're going to be talking about employee engagement in the world of private dentistry. So we'll look forward to speaking to you next time. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.